we both have experienced days where our recovery data does not match up with how we're feeling. That goes along with these tools that we want to give you to be able to sift through that information and figure out what to listen to. My name is Renee. And I'm Lauren. We are the Biohacker Babes. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. The Biohacker Babes podcast aims to provide insight into the body's natural healing abilities, strengthen your intuition, and empower you with techniques and modalities to optimize your health and wellness. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information, and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Hello and welcome to episode 86 of the Biohacker Babes. I'm Renee and I'm here with my sister, Lauren. Hey there. I'm chiming in from windy Las Vegas today, so... Hopefully it's not yeah, too loud. What's happening? There. <laughs> it's gonna drop like 15 degrees today with the wind. So Yikes. crazy, crazy, but all good. So yeah, we're excited today about the topic. We released an episode just a couple of weeks ago all about how to personalize your workout program. And we totally know we threw a lot at you that day. So we thought let's do a follow-up episode and talk a little bit more about you know, what kind of recovery data we're looking at and what you should be considering when you are putting your workout plan together. And then also we're going to share a little bit about what we do. You know, we always are preaching that everyone is different. There's definitely a bio-individual component here, but maybe just kind of getting a sneak peek into our daily routine and what we do and what works for us will be helpful for you guys. Yeah. So excited to kick this off. <laughs> Yeah. I think just to back that up, I've always been super against sharing too much information because I just see that a lot on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook, people sharing their personal stuff, what works for them. And I don't think it's their fault, but I think the human mind naturally just gravitates towards whatever is put in front of them. And I think if you see that something's working for someone else and you're like, that probably is going to work for me, or maybe you don't even have that conversation. You're just like, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> so right. I, I feel like I try to shy away from posting too much about my personal habits uh, with food, exercise, all of that. I'd rather just present the data and the science. And then, you know, today we're going to really try to back it up with some studies and then just like things that we've correlated. What have we learned from this to hopefully give you information that will be useful to you, not to just take and do it for yourself, but to empower you to use those tools to figure it out for yourself. Right. Which goes back to our number one goal of this podcast to empower <laughs> you to be your own biohacker, not just to pick up a book or follow an Instagram post and do it, but figure out what you need. So exactly. There we yeah. go. Wrapping that back up. Awesome. Cool. So, you know, we'll talk through a couple of the different uh, recovery metrics that we look at. You know, we are obviously big fans of the aura ring. Lauren, you use your whoop band, but you can also use things like Apple health, physiological symptoms, uh, the leaf device. So looking at HRV training in the moment, lots of great options for that. And really this episode is for everyone. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think probably if you're listening to this show, you are already doing some kind of exercise routine, I would imagine. So we're just going to help you upgrade that to really personalize it and, and use the data to make sure it's optimal for you. Yeah. I love how you just snuck in physiological symptoms. So we have devices, we love data and we love technology, but the most powerful tool is always going to be checking in with your own symptoms, how you feel and being able to trust your intuition in that sense and not just rely on a number. You guys know that we both have experienced days where our recovery data does not match up with how we're feeling. That goes along with these tools that we want to give you to be able to sift through that information and figure out what to listen to, because I know it can be kind of overwhelming. So our goal is to try to reduce the overwhelm. How's that? <laughs> yes, always. <laughs> try and make it easier for you guys. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, because this is for all of you, I just want to touch on some differences and what we see with recovery metrics between men and women, because there are differences. So when looking at recovery stuff like HRV specifically, that's one of our favorite metrics, but also body temperature, we're going to see some changes throughout 
the month with women. So men, you're not going to see these fluctuations, but for our women, your basal body temperature tends to be lower in your follicular phase. So if we break the cycle into two big phases, follicular is first half, luteal is second half. So that's post ovulation. Your body temperature tends to be a little bit lower in the first phase follicular. So you may see some changes in your recovery data. We know body temperature is a great metric to have, not just to tell you if you're about to um, catch a cold or catch some sort of illness, but it's a good recovery metric. Uh, we want your body temperature to be pretty stable, but it is going to change. So I think for women, we have to be really just sensitive to the fact that that happens because sometimes the data is not always going to be on top of that. They're not always going to know. So Aura is doing a really great job at pushing their technology and their research to give us more specific readings, but I don't think it's quite there just yet. So women, if your readiness score tends to be a little bit lower, maybe just consider where you are in your cycle. And then that also goes for HRV. So we tend to have more parasympathetic activity. That's our rest and digest. More of that activity in the proliferative phase, which is the first half, that's the follicular, that's when estrogen is rising and tends to be the highest, versus more sympathetic, that's our stress, fight or flight mode, in the secretory phase. So second half, your luteal phase. So you may see some changes in HRV throughout the month. I know when I look at my aura data, I can see that very clearly. I tend to have a little rise, and then after ovulation, moving into luteal and then closer to my period, it tends to go down a little bit. Before I go any further, I just want to say there are so many confounding factors and it's not just going to be based on your menstrual cycle. That's why men, this is where you come in. Like there are so many things that affect, affect these recovery metrics, like your activity levels, your stress levels. And that's like mental, emotional, environmental stress, your diet, alcohol, hydration. There's so many things. So what I'm getting to is it's more complicated for women. So it, you may see these, these metrics all line up in according to your metro cycle, but if it's not completely in alignment, it's because of all these other factors. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, totally. It's not going to be a perfect graph every month, month after month. Yeah, exactly. Because of all the other factors. Exactly. So I talk a lot about this with my female clients. This is not information that should be set in stone. Rather, it's a tool to make you feel, I guess, a little more compassionate towards yourself. If you see changes in your recovery, if you see changes in your sleep, just consider your menstrual cycle. Because I think we can beat ourselves up sometimes if we get like a bad score. <laughs> but yeah. we're supposed to have these fluctuations. And yeah. then men, men, you just want to come back to the basics. Are you hydrated? Are you sleeping enough? Are you staying up late watching TV? Did you do too much activity? Did you do not enough activity? That list is super long. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, I definitely have noticed that when I first got the ring, I wasn't correlating that rate at the few days right after ovulation, my readiness score would be a little bit lower. And then, you know, after several months, I'm like, oh, this makes so much sense. So now when like the three days post ovulation, when I feel better than my readiness score is showing, I'm like, oh, well, obviously, like, I'm not going to worry about that score because I'm feeling great. And I know why. Ah, uh, that's really good to know. So that's yeah. where physiological symptoms become more powerful and override yeah. the data. And I know Aura is working on this it's been in the works, I think for a while where they're trying to change it for female users of the aura ring mm -hmm. to be able to say, Oh, that's the day of ovulation. This is why your temperature is higher, why your HRV is lower. And to kind of put that all into a pretty little basket and make it, you know, just make more sense to you. Well, so not as women, harder to sift through. Yeah. But that's coming. So that's exciting. Yeah. Hopefully we'll see some good changes in the next year. Yeah. That's awesome. So what else? Oh, resting heart rate. That's another thing that changes throughout the month. For women specifically, we tend to have a higher resting heart rate right after ovulation. So that could go along with your like decreased readiness score. Maybe your resting heart rate tends to be a little higher. And for those of you that work so hard to keep it low with your exercise training and doing all the right things, that's kind of normal to have like a slight bump. You just want to make sure that it comes back down. And this is always against your baseline. Never, right. ever, ever compare to anyone else. Exactly. 
I think Renee and I, we both get this a lot on Instagram. People are like, whoa, you're HRV. I'm like, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) My HRV, you need to look at yours, especially when it's across different demographics, especially age. We know that HRV goes down drastically as you age. So if you are in your forties and fifties, Renee and I are both in our mid thirties. You can't compare. There's just no, there's like, there's no discuss. We're not going to sit at the same table and have this this discussion. Right. Right. I think about, um, a friend and colleague of mine, she's in her sixties, she's in menopause and she's like, I'm doing more now for my health than I ever have in my life. You know, she's doing cold plunges and sauna and like all these great things. And like so many hormetic stressors, but her HRV, she just can't get it up to where it used to be. And she knows it's because of her age, but she's like, come on. (laughs) Oh, so yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you can't compare yourself to others, but you also can't compare yourself to your younger. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We're always because HRV is a, a good indication of biological age. It reflects the aging process. That's and a I'm really sorry, good point. We're all aging. You can't fight that. So things are going to change. Your hormones change. You're aging, you know, <laughs> happens. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah. We, I know, and that's why people are like, oh, I hate the word anti-aging. We're all aging. I'm like, well, no, but we can age gracefully, right? Yeah. You know, have or optimally, time. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But right, we can't actually turn the clock back. Yeah. So some interesting studies that we came across. I thought this was cool because in the past, we're always looking for studies on females and we know there's not a lot of research on females throughout history. But I started to find more and more specifically about HRV and in cycling women. I found a few studies that were tested on healthy, non-obese cycling women and their changes in HRV. I just want to say that's really cool. Yeah. Hello, 2021. Yeah. Progress. (laughs) (laughs) So that's basically where we're really seeing that data and then, you know, measuring it personally for me, it it seems to all match the lower basal body temperature in the first phase, um, the HRV changes higher in the first half, lower in the second half, resting heart rate, slightly elevated after ovulation. So really cool to see that science and that research be correlated back to our own personal data. So I encourage you to look at your own data and see if that is reflective for you. And if you're listening and you're saying, uh, hey, what about me? I don't have an aura ring or a whoop. (laughs) Something really... Yeah. Something really simple to start with is just taking your body temperature in the morning. So your basal body temperature. Um, just keep a thermometer right next to your bed. And within a minute of waking up, grab that thermometer, track your temperature every morning. That's an yeah. easy Yeah. And what would you say, uh, like w- over what period of time, a week, take an average same time every single day. I would do it full for a full 30 days and see it for changes. the whole month and, and see, I mean, you could certainly do it for months just depends on how, how much data you really want to collect. The more months you have, obviously the more I guess the more correlation you'll be able to see like what, yeah, the trends and what day you're maybe actually ovulating. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Okay. Men, we didn't forget about you. You're not going to have these fluctuations as drastically as women do. So I would just measure your baseline over time and just really check your trends. We don't really know about HRV. I think the research is kind of inconclusive. Some things say the HRV tends to be higher in men. Some things say it tends to be higher in women. What the heck? I don't know. (laughs) Way too much conflicting information. What makes sense to me is that it could potentially be higher in women because of the fluctuations, because of the variability. If you go back to our previous episode about HRV, We want variability within the variability. So it's possible that because we have these fluctuations of parasympathetic and sympathetic activity, women may have a higher HRV overall. And we know there are some correlations with like cardioprotective benefits and men seem to struggle with that a little bit more. So I don't know if that's HRV related. I don't know. I'm like deep in the research. If you have some good studies or research to send us, please do, because it seems to be inconclusive. Yeah, that's a good point because actually, and if you want a deeper dive just into HRV, go back to our episode a couple months ago all about that. But they have been able to predict cardiovascular issues with HRV testing. So, you know, predicting if someone's going to have a heart attack, et cetera, 
and we know that men tend to have more issues in that in that category. So mm-hmm. interesting thought there. Okay, so we've covered a couple different metrics, but just to wrap this up into an easy list. So the metrics that we're really looking at, number one, heart rate variability. Number two, body temperature. Number three, sleep quality. So it doesn't matter just how much time you're in bed, but how much of that time that you are in bed, are you actually asleep? So looking at sleep efficiency and Aura Ring does a good job with this. I assume Whoop is pretty similar. So you know, if you're in bed for eight hours, did you sleep seven hours and 45 minutes, six hours, right? We want to look at that sleep efficiency. And really the only way you're going to know that is by using some kind of sleep tracker. And fortunately, there's so many new sleep trackers coming out on the market. So definitely want to pay attention to that. And then any sleep disturbances. So how many times are you waking up in the middle of the night? You might not even realize you're waking up. Sometimes we're in a little bit of that groggy state, but if you have a sleep tracker, it will tell you, oh, you had a little bit of wakefulness here. Maybe it was, I don't know, the temperature was wrong in your room or a pet jumped on your bed, something that woke you up. You have to pee, right? Yeah, that one, the latter. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) so could be multiple things there. Um, Number four, activity goal or strain, which Whoop does a good job telling you your strain. Um, And then number five, daily steps. I think that's a big thing everyone's kind of looking at already. And then number six, respiration. So I think the Aura Ring does a really good job with this because you can see your respiratory rate throughout the day and while you're sleeping. And especially with COVID, this is a really good thing to keep an eye out for. I personally saw a spike in my respiratory rate the day before I became symptomatic with COVID. So that was kind of like a red flag for me. And a lot of people have been posting similar stories like on the Facebook or our group and things, you're like, oh my gosh, why did my respiratory rate go up so high? So of course it could be a sign of maybe COVID, maybe you're just not recovered, maybe you are become, coming down with another illness. So that's a really good thing to keep an eye on. And um, obviously we want our respiration to be low, the less breaths per minute, the better, the healthier we are. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't so remember, what was Ryan's change in respiration rate? With COVID? Oh, his was significant. I think it went from like 14 or 15 per minute up to 23 per minute. 23. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty high. Yeah. I mean, ideally if we can get it to 12 or 13, that's amazing. That's a good goal to work, to strive for. Yeah. Another thing. Uh, I just think it's so cool that Aura is doing all that research. I mean, you've been interviewed by them a few times. You've been a part of their studies. I'm now doing a daily check-in with them. Are you doing this? Are you getting text messages from them? No, I I guess I got the boot from the study. (laughs) They had enough of you. (laughs) Yeah, I think because I already had COVID. um, I went through so many months of doing the online survey, doing the antibody tests. But I think now that I, one, had COVID and was able to prove it with the Aura Ring and also had slight elevated antibodies. They were like, thank you. We're done. <laughs> so I guess I helped right. them. I guess they're just focused on the, the non-victims up yeah. until now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I'm filling out this daily survey, which I've always been doing, but, uh, you know, that includes like, am I getting a PCR test? Have I had vaccinations? And they sent me an at home test for COVID. That's an emergency test. So by tracking oh. my data, they will know and alert me if they think that something's coming on and I am required to take this emergency test, which is just like stashed in my closet. I'm not allowed to take it unless they tell they me tell to take you. it. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's so fascinating. Yeah. Is it a blood, blood test or it nasal? even open it. Oh. I'm assuming <laughs> it's, it's a surprise. Oral, <laughs> I'm assuming it's an oral swab test. If it's an at-home do-it-yourself. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing that they have come that far, that they can do that. Yeah. Cool. We'll see. Hopefully you won't need it, but yeah, exactly. (laughs) Gosh. Can you imagine if everyone in the world had that, had an Mm -hmm. oar ring, had an emergency test kit? Mm -hmm. That's so incredible. Very cool. Yeah. Hopefully in a year from now, we'll have amazing research because obviously it's not foolproof. They're trying to see if it's accurate. They're seeing if, if they are getting the data and then you do correlate because we don't know with symptomatic, asymptomatic. So much, so many unknowns, but right. Okay. Yeah. Let's get to the meat and potatoes of this episode. So we're talking about our own experience with workouts, activity levels, what we do and how we navigate that 
navigate that <laughs> based on <laughs> our recovery scores. And if you don't have a recovery or activity tracker, it's okay. We're going to try to base it on some physiological symptoms as well. So let's start with high recovery days. So if you have a whoop band, that means you get a green score. If you have an aura ring, you probably have a crown or you'll get a notification that you could push yourself. So we get like a number score of quantification, but then there's also some qualitative guidance. It's like, you're probably feeling good today. You can really go for it. That would be considered a high recovery day. If you don't have a tracker, you probably wake up feeling refreshed. You probably wake up feeling motivated. You probably wake up feeling not too sore. Anything else you would throw in that category, Renee? I think just good energy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we have to overthink this. I think you probably yeah. know if you're recovered. Right. Considering that you are engaging in regular activity, because again, like we talked about in the last episode, once you're out of that cycle, like if you haven't been working out a lot, we know it's hard to initiate that cycle. So I'm talking about already being in that cycle, already being pretty active and, and committing to your health activities. Um, and if you are having trouble getting motivated, getting started, go back and listen to that. So high recovery days. Do you want to yeah. share first? Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. When, so for me, yeah, I use my aura ring. And then if I typically, if I have over an 85 readiness score and then maybe a crown for a bonus point, queen, queen <laughs> or a queen. Yeah. The things that I will focus on number one is high intensity interval training. I am such a big fan of hit Tabata, that kind of style training, but I know that I have to be recovered to really be efficient with that kind of workout. And I think we'll go later in the episode more into detail about like how many days a week and stuff. Oh yeah. That too. Yeah. Yep. So I won't go into too much detail, but so basically I'll do some kind of high intensity interval training, strength training. I mean, I do strength training quite often. So for me, it's not a question of whether I do it or not. It's just how hard I push. So if I have a high recovery, I know I can really, you know, maybe up the weights, up my reps, really push it there. And then infrared sauna, I actually put infrared sauna. I do this on my high and low recovery days, but it, I tweak how I do it. So on a high recovery day, I will add the infrared sauna session on top of my workouts. So I might do like hit strength training. And I mean, this is not a lot of time. I'm talking like 15 minute hit, 10 minute strength, like very quick, efficient stuff. And then I'll wrap it up with a sauna session. And there was an interesting study actually. So this was on men, but uh, male runners that did a 30 minute sauna session after their endurance training sessions for three weeks, they found that all of the athletes increased their running endurance. And the researchers think this was probably because of the increased blood volume from the heat exposure. Um, they think that was what was really responsible for the improved endurance. So definitely some good research coming out more about doing like endurance training and then doing a post-workout sauna session. But I thought that was, that was kind of a cool study. So I do try yeah, and incorporate did it that. Say like what volume of training or what intensity? Cause I'd imagine you have to modulate that depending on. Yeah. I'd have doing. to look at, look more into detail. And there's been a couple of studies very similar to this. Um, and I can try and link to that in the show notes if anyone wants to dive a little bit deeper. I don't want to cut you off, and I feel like I know what you're going to say, but I just think that's really cool that you change it depending on your recovery status. I'm just thinking about when I worked at AKT, they had a sauna and people would do 60 minutes of really high intensity cardio and go in the sauna for 30 minutes. And I always thought that that was just so aggressive. I thought yeah, that, that was sounds too very stressful. Even if we are fueling our recovery and increasing our blood volume don't we want to look at the intensity and like the stress that's being produced in the body? Right. Cause the sauna is still a stressor. It's a different type yeah. of stressor. So, you know, when you are doing something like high intensity interval training, you're in a more sympathetic state and providing that hormesis versus when you're in the sauna, you're in a more parasympathetic state providing that hormesis, but it's yeah. still hormesis either way. And it's really personal too, right? I've noticed this with my CGM measuring blood glucose even if I'm in parasympathetic, it's still, sometimes my glucose goes up super high. And I don't know if that's just the temperature affecting the sensor, but I can see the, the stress on my body. So I have to, it's very, very dose dependent for me. I can't go in for too long. Mm. Yeah. And actually there's been some good research on looking at people going in the sauna, wearing CGMs fasted or with food 
in their stomach, basically. So they're oh, finding that- you mentioned this. Yeah. I think this was on Rhonda Patrick's podcast. So they found that when people did a fasted sauna session, their glucose didn't spike as much as non-fasted sauna sessions. Say so, that one more time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take, take this down. The slow this people. Note. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A fasted sauna session, they had a lower glucose- response, not as uh-huh. high of a response versus a non-fasted sauna session. They saw glucose spike much higher. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But they also found that that spike was not necessarily a bad thing. So I know naturally we're like, right. oh my gosh, our glucose is spiking. And they said, well, no, it's actually not a bad thing if it spikes in the sauna. They're at least not, they're not finding research to prove that yet, that that is a bad thing. Yeah. Well, Levels is showing the same thing. Their research is is showing, you know, with workouts, if you spike during a high intensity workout, you have to mark it as intense and it won't be counted against you because we see this like three to four fold release of glucose just because the supply and demand is mismatched. But over time, it's actually improving your insulin and glucose Mm. sensitivity. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I guess it's the same thing as we know sauna is a hormetic stressor and similar to a workout just by getting that heat exposure. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been kind of playing around with doing more fasted sauna sessions, but I will sometimes just do some essential amino acids, the Kian aminos, mm-hmm. because that for me, that doesn't spike my blood sugar. So, mm. but again, it's different for everyone. <laughs> yeah. So uh, again, I don't want to get ahead, but what are you doing differently on your low recovery days with the sauna specifically? So the main difference is on a low recovery day, I would maybe just go for a walk and then do my sauna. But same amount of time in the sauna? Yes, pretty much always the same amount of time. But I go in on those lower recovery days knowing that if I'm just not feeling it, I'll get out early. Mm -hmm. But I can also tweak the program. So on my sunlight and sauna, there's weight loss program, which is pretty high, high heat versus there's a relaxation one, there's a detoxification, there's an anti-aging. And so I play around with different combinations because each program, it has a different combination of far, near, or mid-infrared. Cool. And the, yeah, and the heat is different. The temperature is different. So I notice on the weight loss, I'm at like 140, 145 versus relaxation. I only get to like 120, 125 for temperature. And there's a combo that stops the aging process completely? Yes, yeah, so if you stay in long enough. <laughs> You stay in long enough, you come out looking way younger. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) I wish. So cool. Yeah. So that's pretty much what I do on my high recovery days. I, you know, I think that kind of makes sense just to really push myself. Uh, What about you, Lauren? What do you do on your ready to go days? I also love HIIT training, but it kind of varies. I would say anytime that I'm feeling recovered. So if I have a crown or have a green on my whoop band, I will always work out in the morning and do my, I guess, more intense training session in the morning. I'm just not as good in the afternoon, but the exception goes for strength training. I seem to be able to do a strength training workout that doesn't spike my heart rate. That's not as, I guess, stressful or demanding. So more of like a a zone two or like that mid heart rate zone, if you're looking at all five heart rate zones. So in the morning, I'll do my hit maybe some cardio, like endurance on the bike. I I love to run outside when it's warm. I just can't do it when it's cold. So I've been swapping that for spinning indoors right now. I have my mixed bike. So in the morning, I'll probably do like some endurance or hit on the bike mobility, but that's all the time. I I just do mobility all the time because I love it and it feels so good. And then in the afternoon, this is still in the high recovery day. I will do probably a higher strength training workout. So like heavier volume, heavier weights, but not necessarily spike my heart rate. I don't seem to have the same power that I do in the morning, even if I am really recovered. Mm. I could potentially do a shorter hit workout, like maybe 10 to 15 minutes. Though in general, I don't do long hit workouts. 15 to 20 minutes is kind of... Yeah. You don't really need to. Yeah. Yeah. If we're hitting that, those general guidelines of doing, um, 75 minutes of vigorous activity a week, you could do 15 minutes, three days a week, three to four days a week. Knock out a big chunk of that. Yeah. Uh, so my goal here during high recovery days really is the getting that hormetic stress. So knowing that I can push the boundaries a little bit, push myself to a more uncomfortable place 
definitely going to zone three, definitely sweating. I think sweating is beneficial all the time, but I'm definitely striving to get a good sweat on, on these high recovery days, zone three. So that means like I am going anaerobic, I'm breathless. That's that higher heart, heart rate where you're no longer using oxygen. And so you get that like large epoch. Um, over time, you'll burn more fat. You're going to burn more calories throughout the day after that, that push. So I guess the only exceptions would be if I know that I have a higher intensity day later in the week. So because I film workouts for a mix, if I... So say today I woke up, I did actually wake up with a really high recovery score, but I'm filming tomorrow. Mm. So I'm not going to do a, a high intensity workout today because I'm saving myself for tomorrow. So Smart. say you have a workout planned, I don't know, on zoom or you're meeting a friend for a run. If you know, that's in your schedule, don't push yourself just because your data told you to, or just because you're feeling good, try to project for the entire week. And that just goes back to our previous episode about planning, like write your goals on paper, have a plan for the entire week, because you don't want to be caught by surprise and go, Oh, well, I was pushing myself every day this week, but I really have to do this workout with this friend or because I said I would today. And now you're kind of locked into that. Yeah. Hopefully you point. have some choice. I, with my schedule, I don't have a choice. Like if I'm set to film, I have to film and I have to do those workouts. So I, <laughs> and yeah, that can backfire at times. So. <laughs> but you know, you're going to film what, at least a week in advance. Oh, I have my schedule two months far out. Oh, yeah. that's good. So you can really plan for that. Yeah. Still hard. I'm sure <laughs> it is. So if we're going to, let's just transition to our lower recovery day activities. If I wake yeah. up with a low recovery score, you know, sometimes things happen based on hormonal changes with the menstrual cycle, or maybe I just didn't get a good night at sleep because my dog was making noises and keeping me up or whatever, for whatever reason, even if I've done all the right things, I wake up with a low recovery and I have to film, which normally I would say, don't do it. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a choice. I have to go and, and push myself. So what I've seen with that data is that normally I would recover in about 24 hours from a poor recovery day. On these days, when I get the low recovery score and I'm not able to follow the advice from my trackers or just from my own intuitive self, it takes me three to four days to recover. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So I've gone back to scroll through my data. So, oh, actually I want to pull out my phone right now and look at this. So I can remember one day in, in particular last month where I woke up with, oh gosh, it was really, it was really bad. <laughs> see oh I no. One of your it. worst scores. <laughs> We do, we do get bad scores, everyone. Yeah. I know we post a lot of our nineties, but things happen. <laughs> so this is on whoop. I guess I can flip over to aura in a second, but I had a 49% recovery and that's in the yellow, which you don't want to be in the yellow. You want to be in the green 49%. <laughs> and then I went and did like some intense workouts for mix. And it was super stressful, <laughs> burned a lot of calories, sweat a lot, hit zone three. And then the next day I had a 39% recovery. <gasps> wow. And then the next day I had a 46% recovery still in the yellow. The next day, 61% still in the yellow, 60% the next day, still in the yellow, 44% the next day, still in the yellow. <gasps> oh my gosh. Actually, it really took you a while. That was almost recover. an entire week. So, so that, and that shows a really good point about, I know we were going to talk about this later in the episode, but I have found if I have a low recovery day and I know I have more flexibility to change my schedule than you do, Lauren, but if, if I push myself through a low recovery day, yeah, it just screws me up for the next two or three days. So I'm like, why not just take the day off and know mm -hmm. that the next day I can push hard again. It's just one mm -hmm. day. Give yourself mm -hmm. the day. If you exactly. Can. You're not going to gain weight in one day. You're not going <laughs> to lose muscle mass in one day. Right. Unless you're working out for a mood booster, but then like there's other ways to do that. You can cut back on volume and intensity. Yeah. Hey, biohackers, Renee here. The truth is people age at different speeds. The date that marks your birthday doesn't necessarily reflect your body's biological age, your inner age. Learning your biological age may seem daunting, but inner age is more than just a simple measurement. It's the starting point for you to take control of your health and wellness journey. 
Inside Tracker is a personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and now fitness trackers to help you optimize your performance from the inside out. First, they analyze your body's biomarker data to offer you a clear picture of what's going on inside you. Then they provide science-backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes and track your progress every step of the way. Transforming your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science-backed recommendations you need to reach your goals. Take advantage of our amazing partnership with Inside Tracker and get 25% off. Just go to insidetracker.com slash biohackerbabes. We will also put this link in the show notes for today's episode. So when you don't have to film, what else would you do on a low recovery day? <laughs> uh, lots of mobility, which I normally do, but I would just put the focus on mobility and walk. I try to walk a lot. I save those days for like my longer walks through the park. I make sure to get outside. I mean, right now I'm just inside more than ever. I think most people are also because it's winter, but yeah, pre COVID I was getting like 20,000 steps a day. I bet walking all over the city. And right now I'm averaging maybe like 12,000. So in general, I just, I know I have to push myself to walk a little bit more. So those days I just walk. I just try to walk. I do mobility, stretching. And again, my motivation is always a little higher in the morning. So I'll try to do that stuff earlier in the day because by the afternoon, I don't want to do anything, mm. anything. By afternoon, when I would normally be doing like strength training, I want to be horizontal. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. stretching, maybe like some lighter mobility, but I definitely keep it short. I guess, depending on how bad the recovery is, if it's not super low, but it's not optimal, maybe I'll do a little bit of endurance, but I definitely stay in zone two. Mm -hmm. And that's on the scale of one to three heart rate zones. Zone two is in the middle where you're using oxygen. That's most cardiovascular work. So not pushing up into that anaerobic threshold, not gasping for breath, but something that you can maintain that's not too stressful. So maybe like an endurance ride on the bike or even just some mobility that gets my heart rate up a little bit because that's great for circulation and blood flow, but I'm not pushing up into zone three for sure. And I'm definitely keeping it short. So nothing more than 15 minutes in one session and our normal hacks for health, like no alcohol. I try to cut back on caffeine though. That's hard for me to be honest. (laughs) Yes, me too. Oh, this is something that's been useful, increasing my fasting window. So this is pulling in a lot of other data, but with my CGM, I know if my recovery is lower, I probably didn't have as optimal of a a night of sleep. And then my insulin sensitivity is decreased. So if I can fast a little bit longer, that always helps my glucose and insulin. Mm. Um, Because I just don't, tolerate my metabolism isn't as strong when I am poorly recovered. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's good to know. So just fasting like a little bit longer than usual. Um, not to the point where I'm stressing out my body, but that's where the intuitive piece comes in and then, you know, increase electrolytes, increase your minerals and nutrition. I love to use the amp coil, which we've talked about on the show, just to get like some more restorative action in there. And then Oh, so I think looking back at that data, it didn't help that I know one day that weekend, I stayed up really late watching TV when I know I should have gone to bed earlier. So that also could have (laughs) added to the the delayed response and recovery. If you know you need to recover more, don't stay up late watching TV like I did. That was a terrible- You know better. You know better. You you know, on the weekends. (laughs) I know. It's so tempting. (gasps) It's so tempting. So I'm going to stop talking. What do you do on your low recovery days? I do a lot of really similar things. I would say, um, you know, I already talked about the sauna, how I incorporate that on my recovery days. Um, I do a little bit of yoga at, at home though. I don't know why I don't really love going to yoga classes. And I guess with COVID, that's not really a thing anyways, but Mm -hmm. I, I use less mills. There are like online workouts 
it's like 14 bucks a month. And then I can just do, they have like 25 to 30 minute yoga workouts. And I love them. Cause like the music is good. It just gets me moving. You can do more flexibility or strength. They have different options. So I'll do more like the flexibility, but similar to what you said, it's, it, that's kind of my version of mobility. I'm not as creative as you Lauren <laughs> with coming up with my own mobility. I like to watch a video that tells me what to do. So that's fair. And I think that's most people. Yeah. So that's a good one. That yoga video is great. I try and do this every day, but especially on my low recovery days is a, my brain tap session. I know I've probably talked about brain tap before, but this is using like audio and visual cues. Um, it's a little device you wear with glasses and headphones and it just puts your body into that parasympathetic state really quickly. So I'll make sure I squeeze the session in on those days. And then something else I, I just finished with um, the LEAF device. So this is an HRV biofeedback training tool. I did their eight-week training program because you can like rent the device. So you can just pay month after month. I did the eight weeks and then I just sent it back because I felt like I learned enough from it. But I found on those low recovery days, I would do longer HRV biofeedback training. So the app, they do ask that you do a minimum of 10 minutes of training every day. And what that looks like is, so the device, you strap it on your chest, right below your heart, and it's giving you your HRV in real time. And so you lay down, sit down, whatever there, it's measuring your HRV and it tells you how to breathe in conjunction with your HRV. So Mm -hmm a minimum of 10 minutes a day. But like I said, on my lower recovery days, I would bump that up to 20 minutes. And it's really cool because you can see your HRV in real time go from, for example, I know we can't compare numbers, but maybe from 45 to 105 in 10 minutes, I could modulate my HRV that much. And it's lasting. I find that just, it helps me recover faster that day. Uh huh. So, so that the next day, just my recovery is much stronger. You feel better too. Yeah. So that's, I think, I I think that's a great device. Yeah. You should totally do the eight week program. I think anyone should do it. It's totally Mm -hmm. worth it for eight weeks. You learn a lot about what is really stressing your body out because it'll vibrate (laughs) when you're emotionally, mentally, physically, physiologically stressed. It'll, it'll let you know. So yeah, similar to the CGM, I see my blood glucose trends (laughs) with stress. Like if I'm running late, uh, I ate really fast exercise. Yeah. That real-time data is pretty awesome. Oh man. It's so interesting. Yeah. I definitely want to check out leaf. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, and then walking, like you said, just getting lots of steps in. I'm just more active with like, you know, purposely leaving something upstairs. So I have to take the stairs again (laughs) or, (laughs) you know, making multiple trips around the house. I have a lot of stairs in my house, so that makes it easy. And then I'll go around the neighborhood for a nice walk. Yeah. I guess just another point about walking. So I do like to save that. I mean, I'm always trying to walk, but I focus on it on my lower recovery days, but I do find at some point I have to stop walking. Otherwise it's going to add stress to my body. And I don't know if I just become sensitive to that over time, but you're still adding strain to your body. Yeah. I've noticed if, yeah, if I've gone for like an extended, extended walk in the park, sometimes I'll just like keep going and, and then you have to backtrack. But like, you kind of screw yourself if you keep going because then honestly, oh. that return time is going to be double. Yeah. Yeah. I've had days when I wasn't feeling as recovered and I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have gone that far because now I actually feel more tired. Yeah, I can see that. That kind of reminds me of like a day at Disney. Okay. Anyone that's been to Disney World, have you looked at how many steps All you do? All the steps. <laughs> you know, think- what's your highest step rate? step count. Oh my gosh. I think last time we went to Disney, I think I hit like 25,000 steps and you don't even realize it, right? You're just going like ride to ride. And I don't know the way they designed the park. It just like forces you to walk, but you feel exhausted the next day, even though you had so much fun, right? Cause Disney is so much fun. Yeah. You don't (laughs) notice your steps when you're having a good time. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, your feet hurt a little bit too, but (laughs) Yeah. So moral story, you can overdo it with walking too, but but in general, it is a parasympathetic activity. I would never tell anyone to not walk. Please continue to walk all the time. All the time. The best workout. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Anything else with low recovery days before we wrap that up? Oh, one other thing I've been playing with just the last two weeks is like you said, trying to do less caffeine on those days. Mm -hmm. which is hard because I love coffee so much, (laughs) but I will 
do less caffeine. And I've been playing more with doing the Lucy nicotine gum. Research is showing that nicotine does not hurt your HRV as much as caffeine does. Oh, and I, I still get like this great mental boost. I actually get like a little bit of a physical boost. I, I have found if I chew a piece of the Lucy gum before a workout, I can push harder. So it's not just, or maybe it is just mental. And then it wears off after three to four hours. So it doesn't impact my sleep that night. It doesn't damage my HRV the same way caffeine does. Yeah. I was using Lucy a lot when I was performing. Yeah. Wicked. That's great. When everyone else is chugging their venti Starbucks coffee before an 8 p.m. show. Like, I do that. <laughs> yeah, pop, that's the perfect time. Lucy. Yeah. And then you can still sleep really well. Yeah. Yeah, I need to get some more Lucy. Yeah. And they, they actually um, have lozenges too now that I want to try out. Because the thing with the gum, you're, you know, if anyone's not familiar with Lucy gum, so definitely look them up online. But it's just a nicotine gum. It's four milligrams of nicotine. But you're only supposed to chew 10 to 15 times and then you park it up in your gum, right? You yeah, that's hard to do. Chewing far, chewing far. <laughs> Wait, I love chewing gum. It's like you end up chewing it too fast. So I'm curious to try the lozenges because obviously that's going to dissolve at a slower rate. So it's wow, a that's a release. totally different mechanism though. You're not getting the chew and rest. Yeah, it's just slowly well release. Yeah. Cool. I'll have to try that out. Yeah, there's my, my recent biohack I'm playing around with. <laughs> I like it. So to wrap this up, I think when your data is telling you to slow down, I would say it's going to be really beneficial to listen to your data or to listen to your body. This is not the time to fight your body or to fight your data. So what happens when you don't follow the guidance, when you don't follow your intuition, you're going to end up screwing yourself for a few days to come. So you might as well just back off for that one day. Like we said, you're not going to lose any gains. You're not going to put on weight in one day and you're just going to add more stress to the body. So uh, that's our best advice. Just listen, listen, listen. Yeah. And I think another thing to think about in this situation is I think most people have felt where they feel run down, they might be getting sick, but they push through. And then they get sick and then they're down and out for like a week versus mm -hmm. if you had just taken that one day to really rest and take care of your body, you'd bounce back the next day and never get sick. Yeah. And maybe I wonder if some of that is based on conflicting evidence. Everyone's like, do I work out when I'm sick? Do I not? And we did an episode on this early on, but I think we did back in season one, general guidance, don't push yourself to zone three or I'm going to keep referencing both scales, but on a zone, zone one to five. So that's four and five. So anything that pushes you up into that anaerobic threshold, where you're really stressing the body, you're going breathless, anaerobic. Don't do that. If you're not recovered, don't do that. If you feel like you're under the weather and something is coming on, you could still work out, work out, work out, work out. <laughs> one word. Question mark? Anyways, <laughs> you could still do exercise <laughs> in lower zones because you're going to get the circulation, the blood flow. It is good to add a little bit of stimulation, but it all comes back to balance. How much stress are you adding to your body? And only you can know that. Only you can control the modulation. You Only you can dial that in for yourself. So yes, to think you can work out, just I would say in zone two. So general right. advice, high recovery days. You can push yourself if you're, if that's planned for you, zone three, higher volume with strength training. Oh, I didn't mention this before, but I like to alternate my strength and cardio days. Oh, and you don't do not, them on the same day. I try not to, I try to hmm. like just focus on one energy system. Hmm. I mean, there are certain workouts that will blend the two just naturally, you can't separate it. And, you know, we're, our bodies are a complex system. It's like, we're running on many different types of fuel and it shifts between gears without us even knowing it or controlling it. So sometimes it's out of our, our power, but I like to really just focus 100% on strength training. Like today, I'm just going to lift weights, maybe work on hypertrophy. Maybe it's slower work versus my hit day or my power day or kettlebells, which generally actually no kettlebells for me tends to be a blend of the two. Yeah. That's a good example. And some strength. So yes, there will be some crossover. I don't know if this is just for my mind, but I do like to kind of separate them if I can. So in a perfect week, what are you trying to check all the boxes for? Oh, I have a lot of boxes. 
I have a lot of boxes. <laughs> Here are my boxes. Steps. I, I think I would always put steps at the number at the top. That's my number one. I would say at minimum, I try to get 10,000 steps in a day. And that's not based on any recovery. That's I'm always just trying to get that unless I'm okay. Let's <laughs> we're talking about walking. Unless I'm really under the weather, really under recovered, I may just honestly chill and say horizontal would be as still as possible. Mm. I think there probably are scenarios where you probably just want to do nothing. Yeah. So uh, on average, minimum 10,000 steps today. If I get 12 to 15, that's even better. I try to alternate my strength and cardio days. I do mobility and stretching every single day because that feels really good for my body. And I think that probably is going to feel good for most people once you kind of get the hang of it and figure out how to incorporate it. That is sort of endless. You can dip into your mobility and stretching as much as you want. Say I try to get to zone three, three times a week, probably 15 minutes a day for those three days. Zone two is a little more fluid and gray. I would say 20 minutes a day maybe four times a week. I personally only like to work out four to five days a week. Contrary to popular belief, I do not work out every day. (laughs) But according to Instagram, you do. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Well, that's really annoying because I don't even, ah, what? What? (laughs) I think sometimes your pictures are from like, you know, the day before, you know? Yeah. I know you don't do as much as it maybe looks like. It's called curated content. Okay. Yes. (laughs) I know. Like sometimes I'll post like an old photo from, um, like I'm at a Caribbean Island and they're like, Oh, I didn't know you were in the Caribbean. I'm like, Oh no, that was from a year ago. I just like the photo. Exactly. (laughs) No, I'm not there today. (laughs) I wish I wish. (laughs) Yeah. So no matter what you see on social media from anyone, I don't think you should be working out every single day. I take two days of recovery and that doesn't mean I'm just sitting. So I do my walking. I'm still getting my steps in and I'm still doing my, uh, my mobility. I'm probably still doing, oh, I don't know if I've ever shared this, but I do jumping jacks every single morning when I wake up. <gasps> For how long? Yeah. A minute? Uh, I do like, I try to do a hundred jumping jacks over the course of, awesome. I'll typically do like 50 and then, you know, walk around, take the dog out, whatever, do another 50. There's not really a routine. It's yeah. It's kind of just my built-in routine to wake myself up and to That's get great. my blood flowing. Okay. I'm going to try don't, that. Yeah. I typically don't wake up and like hit a hard workout right away. So that's just my way to get, get the circulation going. Cool. I like that. And I'll still do that on lower recovery days. Like a jumping jack yeah. is not going to hurt anybody. Quote of the day. A jumping jack <laughs> never hurt anybody. <laughs> yeah. Great. I think those are my goals. I'll see. I'll let you know yeah. if I think of something else. But what about you, Renee? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty similar. I'll just run through my list. I would say number one, yeah, steps, getting a minimum of 10, 10K a day. I try and do my HIT workouts two to three times a week. I do some kind of like steady state cardio and that that's always changing for me right now. That is my virtual reality workouts, which Lauren, next time we are together, you are doing a VR workout. Wait, you're going to love it. I really think of you every time I do it. And if anyone hasn't tried the virtual reality workout. They're so fun, but you do like, you know, 20 to 30 minutes. And I would consider that like steady state cardio. And it's just fun. Gets my endorphins boosting for sure. Um, What exercise should be, right? Yes, exactly. You get good music. It's my favorite right now. Um, I also do strength training four days a week, sometimes five days. And again, that just depends on what I'm doing at the moment. Right now, I'm still doing that X3 bar workout, which is two days on one day off, two days on one day off. And that's a 10 minute workout. I mean, it's pretty fast. So I find I can do it five, maybe even six days a week. And it's easy to recover from. And then yoga one to two times a week. And then right now I'm doing my sauna for sometimes even five days a week, just because it's in my basement. Like it doesn't get easier than that. I just, I usually I'll go turn it on, heat it up, go do my workout. And then by the time I'm done my workout, it's ready to go. Oh, you're so lucky to have that. I know. I know. I'm so, so grateful for it. It's been like the best investment. I love it. So great. So today, what are you doing for a workout? (laughs) Are you working out today? How is your recovery? (laughs) Yeah, my recovery wasn't great uh, this morning. I slept horribly last night. And, you know, I'm a good sleeper, but 
uh, with all that I'm going through in my personal life at the moment, I was, I'll be totally honest. I was wide awake from like 1230 AM till like 5 AM. And I usually sleep like nine hours straight through the night. So what I'm dealing with is clearly affecting my sleep, even with 60 milligrams of CBD before bed, it still didn't quite knock me out the way I was hoping. So anyway, so I didn't sleep great. Oddly enough, my recovery, I think was 75. So Mm. not, I mean, not as bad as I was expecting for barely sleeping, but so I'm thinking I'll probably do a sauna session tonight, maybe just like a gentle lower heat sauna session. I am scheduled to do an X3 workout today, but I'm totally going to wait and see how I feel tonight and decide. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So that's my plan for the day. Maybe go for a walk since it's 70 degrees today. Might get outside and do a little walk around the block. What about uh, you? What are you going to do how today? How dare you? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I just want to say that's kind of interesting. You felt like you didn't sleep at all, but your recovery score was still high. I don't, I've noticed that sometimes that happens with me. I'm like, I didn't sleep at all, but I probably did get more rest than I thought I did. Maybe I'm not going into as much deep or REM, but you're still getting some restoration. I mean, obviously we have to get our deep sleep. That is when we, our brain completely recycles and rejuvenates. We need to get the REM. But I think that the data is so powerful because maybe you did get enough rest to do something lighter today. Yeah, actually, that's a really good point. So I was in bed for 10 hours and I got an hour and a half of deep sleep, which I usually get two to two and a half. So an hour and a half of deep sleep, still pretty good. Like I fell asleep, I think right at 10 PM, got a good, good amount of deep sleep in. And then because I was able to sleep in a little bit this morning, I did get an hour of REM in the later part of the day. I just Mm -hmm. missed out on that chunk from 1230 to five, where it was awake, 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 awake. But you're right. I still got a good amount of that restorative sleep, not a lot of light sleep. Yeah. So maybe yeah. all of your organ systems didn't get a full rejuvenation, but we know your deep sleep comes early in the night. And that's that's actually one of the most important parts of your sleep, that early sleep. Right. Which is why you got to go to bed 10, 1030. You get yeah. so much more deep sleep before midnight. Yeah. Really important hack there. Good. So that's note. my day. <laughs> cool. What about you, Lauren? Are you doing any workout today? I woke up and did my jumping jacks. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And then I did a 15 minute hit workout. So my recovery, let me check again. What was my recovery? I'm going to, I'm going to look at both apps, my aura, my recovery. No, sorry. My readiness was 87. Oh, and I nice. a crown Woo-hoo. queen for the day. <laughs> and on whoop, I have a 73% recovery and I'm in the green, which it's interesting to compare those numbers on whoop. A 73% isn't that bad on aura. That would be scored a lot lower, but they're completely mm-hmm. different metrics. So I like right. that they're color coded because I actually had to train myself with whoop to not look at the number and to look at the, the color because 73% is still pretty recovered. That's a, that's a pretty good score. So I did a 15 minute hit workout. And I only did 15 minutes because I'm filming tomorrow. Mm. And later today, I have to do like my dress rehearsal. I like, I I run through all my workouts. So I'm going to do a light version of the workouts that I'm filming tomorrow. That's how I practice. So I wanted to keep a little bit of a reserve for later in the day. Generally, I wouldn't do a HIIT workout the day before I film, but I skied yesterday and my legs are a little sore. So I wanted to do a full body, get my heart rate up, sweat, because we know that working similar muscle groups, like the day after something strenuous, if you're sore, that's a really great way to recover. So Mm -hmm. am I doing like another workout? I just kept it short. Like I kept the volume kind of low, but my legs are like a little sore from yesterday. so. I feel pretty good right now. Nice. Yeah. Skiing is quite the workout. (laughs) Different muscles. Yeah. I mean, the leg, the leg part is pretty intense. Cardiovascularly, the hardest part is like when you're trying to get over to the chairlift, like when you're down, you're on the flat part and you're pushing with your poles. (laughs) You you just feel more out of shape than ever. ever. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's the hardest part. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. How do we wrap this up, man? It always comes back to listening to your body. Again, like Renee said, if you don't have a tracker, keep a journal by your bedside. 
just like you would wake up and take your body temperature, you could write that in there, but write how you're feeling, write how you think you slept. And then you can kind of experiment. See if you can do a, a harder workout on days that you feel good. And when you don't feel as good, do a lighter workout and see that how that works out for you. You might to start to, you might start to see some correlations with uh, listening to your recovery. Yeah, well, hopefully, you know, just sharing what we do is helpful for you all. And as always, we'd love to hear what you're doing, what's working, what's not working. What other questions do you have? You know, always reach out to us. Shoot us an email, biohackerbabes at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram, biohackerbabes. Send us your recovery scores. I love seeing this from people. I get DMs and texts with people's screenshots of Aura and Whoop Data and I cannot get enough of it. So please share it with us because that just, I don't know. It'll just go in our little data bank of information and experience. So we appreciate you sharing. Great. All right. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in today and we will see you next time. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking.